Open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we're going to be looking at a couple of passages of scripture this morning. Acts chapter 18 and also Matthew chapter 25. Acts 18 and Matthew 25. We'll get there in a little bit, but um, let me just sort of lay the groundwork. We began a series last Sunday calling uh, on us to develop a CEO faith. Now, what in the world does that mean to develop a CEO faith? Well, last week we talked about the difference in mindset between being a shareholder and between being a CEO. And we talked about how that mindset affects not only how we would look at ourselves in relationship to a company, but it actually ought to be a guide to us how we see ourselves in relationship to our faith and to our church. So let's do a little bit of review before we get into the meat of the sermon this morning. So we're gonna start with the idea of how a shareholder thinks. Now I'm gonna put this up on the screen for you here and I'm gonna ask you to say this with me. How does a shareholder think? He thinks, what's in it for me? All right, I'm gonna ask that question again. I want you to answer all with me because we need to understand these two differences. How does a shareholder think? What's in it for me, right? Okay, so that's what a shareholder is thinking all the time. What's in it for me? Now, we used the example of some stock charts last week, which is a little weird talking about stock charts in church, but we use that as an example, and of course, that example involves money. So how does this work if we're not talking about money per se? Well, let me give you a couple of ideas. All right, so I would tell you that we have a lot of shareholder mentality athletes today. Now, I believe that's true in virtually every level of sports uh, involvement, but I think it becomes more apparent the higher up you go and the more visible the sport becomes. You see this especially in college athletics or in professional athletics. How many times... Have we seen an athlete who thinks that they ought to be a star, but they're not getting used enough by the team that they're playing for, or they're not getting enough publicity, and so you know what they want to do? They want to what? Quit. And they want to go play for another team. Why? Because this team doesn't appreciate me for how awesome I am, right? And they're thinking, not how can I benefit the team, they're thinking, what's in it for me? me. So we see a lot of star athletes like that today. I would give you another example. I think we have way too many shareholder marriages. And not just in our country, we have too many shareholder marriages in our churches, You have two people that will stand at an altar and take a vow before each other and before God that says, till death do us part. But really what they're thinking is, what's in it for me? And as long as it's good, as long as I'm getting what I want, then I'm sticking around. But when it gets hard and when I'm not getting out of it what I want, then I'm ready to look for greener pastures because what I'm really concerned about is what's in it for me. me. That's what a shareholder thinks. But a CEO thinks entirely differently. It is a much bigger picture. 
So what does a CEO think? All right? So here's what a CEO thinks. Say it with me. How can I make it better? I'm going to ask it again. You answer. What does a CEO think? So a shareholder is thinking, what's in it for me? But a CEO is thinking, how can I make it better? In other words, he is always looking or she is always looking for ways to improve the company or, or how it can benefit and serve the public. In other words, a CEO is always looking for new opportunities because that's what a CEO is. It's what you see on the screen. A CEO, say this with me, is a constant evaluator of opportunities. That's what a CEO ought to be. A constant evaluator of opportunities. Now, let's have a little bit of fun for a moment this morning. Is it okay to have a little fun in church? All right, good, good. All right, so by a show of hands, how many of the ladies here this morning have ever had your husband or maybe one of your sons or maybe you heard your dad come in and say this to your mom? How many of you have ever heard this? Let me show you a great opportunity. Come on, let me see, let me see your hands. All right, there's quite a few of you. Let me tell you about this great opportunity. And every woman that ever has heard that in her life the first thing she thinks is, oh, Lord, help us. We're in trouble now. Come on, ladies, say amen. It's your chance. It's your chance. We're in trouble now. Why? Because men, and it's the truth, men, we're known for taking a few stupid risks. Are we not? Now, what do I mean by that? Let me just give you a few examples, all right? If you jump out of a second-story window trying to ride a broom with a pool below you, that's a stupid risk. I don't even know if there's water in it. I hope there is. All right, how about this one? Now, can I just say that probably there's not a woman in this building that would ever come up with that idea. But men are going, man, I wish I could try that. <laughs> I was thinking, that's brilliant. I got to go get me a crane. <laughs> or how about this one? This, this is historically why women live longer than men. <laughs> or this one. We trust each other, right? One more. I promise if anybody wants to help us move, we will not do this. I hope that guy does not miss a step on the way back. That is not pretty. So listen, all, all of those risks would qualify as probably not too bright. 
But can, can we at least all agree this morning that almost anything that we do is going to involve some level of risk if it's worth doing, right? Anything that's worth doing is going to involve some level of risk. I mean, when you think about it, we don't write books about men who scaled Mount Molehill. Like, oh, that last six inches, oh, that was amazing, the courage that it took. We don't write books like that. We don't teach history lessons on guys who played it safe. And we don't build monuments to couch potatoes. And guys, I just wanna, I just wanna make sure that you are aware of this. This is not a monument to how well we sit in our recliners. Some guys are going, man, if I could just have a statue out in front of my house for how good I sit in my recliner. It worked for Lincoln. It, this is not a monument to lazy boys. We, we don't do history. We don't write books about people who took no risk. The truth is that anything, anything at all that is worth doing is risky. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you some muscle, some money. Whatever it is, it's going to cost you some sort of, some level of risk. But hear me and mark this down, because to risk nothing is to accomplish nothing and achieve nothing. You understand that, church? To risk nothing is to accomplish nothing and to achieve nothing. Now... I will, I, I'm, I'm always amazed and, and surprised these days at the level that we go to in our current culture to protect ourselves. I can't imagine for the life of me when I was six and seven, eight years old riding a, a bicycle with a helmet on. I can't fathom that. But we have reached extremes in this country where we try to remove the risk out of everything. I mean, kids can't even be kids anymore. We got to protect everybody from everything. But here's the truth. I don't care how much we try to remove risk. We live in a risky world. To enter into a relationship is risky. To love is risky. To tell the truth is risky. Somebody say amen right there. I, to take a chance on anything these days is a risk. And I think we'd all agree that whatever we're doing that involves risk, if, if we do it because we're trying to honor God, then we have to understand that God has a way of actually blessing those who take risk. It's crazy. God has a way of, taking, of blessing those who take risk in his name. I'm not saying he's going to bless people who use a crane and take their riding lawnmower and trim the hedge. That's not the kind of risk we're talking about. See, the Lord delights in honoring those who walk by faith and not by sight. He loves to bless people and show up on their behalf when they have learned what it is to put at risk what they have and who they are for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. God loves to show up in big ways in those situations. Amen? Amen. 
We have to learn to understand that and accept that as a rock-solid truth of our faith. See, God wants us this morning to be people who will do the right thing, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. And we want to develop Christ followers here at Orchardville Church who will step into difficult situations and help somebody do the right thing. Now, is that a risk? Absolutely, it's a risk. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity. God this morning... In developing a CEO faith, I think he wants us to wrap our arms around the idea that when it's something that involves being able to show who God is, that we need to see risk as what? All right, let's say it again. We need to see risk as what? Opportunity. Opportunity. We need to see those moments as opportunity. Do you know that God does that? Do you know that God is always looking for opportunities to show himself for who he is and what he's about? Did you know that? I'm going to put this slide on the screen for you. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So look at that again. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for opportunity to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's what God does. God is looking for opportunities to show who he is and what he is about. And you know what? Not only does God do that, he's expecting us as Christ followers to take that same mindset, to always be looking for opportunities where we can stand into a situation and show God for who he is and what he's about. Now, what does that look like in real life? Well, I had a couple of things that that came to my mind. What what does that look like in real life? All right, so imagine yourself this week uh, going out to lunch with a friend or maybe a group of friends from work and the conversation actually goes beyond sports and weather and children and pets and actually begins to talk about the things of the Lord. Is that comfortable? Not usually. Is it risky? Yes. But is it an opportunity to show who God is and what he's about and talk about what he's doing in your life and how he's showing up in your life and your church? Absolutely. I would say it's also somebody deciding I'm going to take vacation to serve at children's camp or junior camp or senior camp so that that child, that teenager might have potentially a life-shaping or a life-changing encounter with an almighty God. I would say that is men taking the risk of stepping in to take on the role of a father figure for our kids whose fathers might be absent. Amen? I would say that it's somebody saying, I'm going to take a chance 
on teaching or helping to teach a children's Sunday school class or an adult Sunday school class, even though I don't feel qualified or even though I really don't feel quite ready yet, or at least help in some way. I don't feel like I can do it, but God can. And when I don't feel like I can do it or if I'm not sure I can and it works, that's a chance for God to show up and show who he is and what he's about. I would say it's a godly person who sees somebody who is really trying, really trying, but they're off target just a little bit and deciding rather than to complain about them or talk about them, they step in to help them get on the right path. Amen? Let me give you an example of a great uh, picture of that and having CEO faith that sees risk as opportunity in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we read the story of a man and his wife named Aquila and Priscilla. And they're going to teach us a little bit this morning about what it means to take a risk in order to benefit the kingdom of God, in order to help the church. So in Acts chapter 18, we have a story of a man named Apollos who wound up, he was a a pretty powerful preacher, and he showed up at the church in Ephesus, and I mean, the dude was, he was killing it. He was an excellent preacher, but he was a little uninformed on the full breadth of the gospel. And so he was a little off target in what he was teaching and preaching. So let's see what the Bible says about it. Verse 24, Acts chapter 18. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, he was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures. He came to Ephesus, and this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being Fervent in spirit. This guy was passionate. This guy loved being able to talk about the Lord. He spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So here's, here's what's going on. He doesn't know everything. His theology is not fully developed. But what he knows, he knows that God is God, Jesus is Jesus, and he loves the opportunity to share who God is with anybody that will listen. And he is letting it rip, and he is letting it fly, and people are listening, and they're being drawn to what he's having to share, but he's a little off target. He doesn't know everything that there is to know yet. Now, let me just pause for a second here and let's just let's just be real honest about what usually happens in church settings when we hear somebody who is speaking or teaching and they're a little off target we are really good at grumbling and griping and gossiping and complaining about that are we not been in a church where that's happened now, we will, we will talk to somebody else about it, 
We will express our displeasure about it, but will we talk to the person who was actually doing it? Not a chance. No way. Why? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Right? You heard that? I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, 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 no. I would never talk to somebody who wasn't teaching quite right. It's not my business. But apparently, it's our business to go tell somebody else. Right? Apparently, it's our business to complain to somebody who had nothing to do with it. But to talk to the person who was actually involved? No, it's not my business. Well, that's what normally happens. So let's, let's see what happened in this story. So he's preaching in verse 26. And then when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, and remember, his theology is not fully developed. When they heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples there to receive him. Why? Because he had gotten better. His theology had, had become fully developed. And so the people in Ephesus are, are telling Achaia, hey, you guys, you got to take this guy in because this guy will bless you. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So, while most of us are prone to grumble and gossip, what did Aquila and Priscilla, his wife, do? They took Apollos aside, and they taught him. They coached him. So that a person who had great gifts would not be able, or would not go off the track and not be able to minister in the way that God had designed him, and they took a chance with him so that the church could flourish and benefit from the gift that God had given Apollos. You know why? Because they didn't see it as risk. They saw it as opportunity. Right? So they had a, they had an, a CEO mindset. They thought, how can I make it what? Better. What does the CEO think? How can I make it better? Help me out, church. What does the CEO think? How can I make it better? Aquila and Priscilla, instead of, instead of going, well, what's in it for me? Well, I don't like what he's doing. I don't like how that's going. And instead of going to grumble and complain, they decide, how can I make it better? And they take the risk which really isn't a risk when it's for God. They take the risk to step in, pull Apollos aside, to coach him, to teach him, so that his gifts will be fully developed and fully realized. Amen. That's the way it ought to go. Now, just a side note, I think one of the reasons why so many churches sometimes have difficulty getting people to volunteer to help teach and lead and train because they've seen too many people complain in the background. Right? Like, why, why do I want to take that risk? Why do I want to go, if I'm not even sure confident that I'm ready to teach, 
If I think I might be a little off base, why would I take the chance if I know that somebody behind my back is going to talk about what I said and go, well, they shouldn't be saying that. Church, we got to develop CEO faith that says, how can I make it what? Better. And so what they did was they said, Apollos, come, brother, come over here, brother. Let us spend some time with you. Let us invest a little bit of time with you and mentor you and coach you so that you might fully develop all that God has designed you to be so that not only you flourish, but the church flourishes. And church, I would tell you this morning that right now, as much as any time in the history of the church, The church needs men and women and teenagers who will step into risky situations for the cause of Christ because they see them not as risk, but as opportunities to succeed rather than chances to fail. Please make note of that. Make mental note of it. Write it down. We need to stop seeing risk as a chance to fail because that, who wants to fail? Nobody wants to fail. I don't want to fail. You don't want to fail. Nobody I know wants to fail. And so if there's some chance that we might fail, well, that's all right, I'll pass. But when we see risk as an opportunity to succeed rather than a chance to fail, it changes how we see that moment, doesn't it? Because we're thinking, how can I make it what? Better. This reminds me of a story that Jesus told in the gospel of Matthew chapter 25. And you can turn to that if you haven't already. It's a story that many of you know. It's a a parable called the parable of the talents. And in this parable, Jesus says that there was... Uh, a master who was going to, to take a, a trip and he compares this to the kingdom of God and, and he calls in three of his servants and he divvies his money out. He gives five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. Now, just so that you have some perspective of this, many people, many scholars would suggest that a talent today is probably about a million dollars. Yeah. So, he puts $5 million entrusted into one of his servants, $2 million to another, and a million to the third. So what happens? So the first one who got five, he goes out and he trades in the marketplace and he turns that $5 million into ten. The one that got two million goes out, does the same thing. He turns that two million into four. The one that got a million, he got a little nervous about this thing. Hmm, not really sure about taking a chance with this. So he goes out, he digs a hole, and he buries the million dollars in the backyard. Well, the master shows back up. And now he wants an accounting from his servants. What did you do with all of those resources that I gave you? So the first one comes back, says, Lord, I've, I've turned this five million into 10. He goes, well done. Outstanding. Well, of course it's outstanding. Then he asks the second one, 
hey, I've turned that two million into four. Well done. That's outstanding. Totally. Then he asked the last guy to come in and give a report, and let's look at what happened when that encounter took place. Let's start in verse 24. Then he who received the one talent, he came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went around and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. How about that, master? Everything you gave me, I still got it. Here's your million dollars. Ain't I awesome? Now, you know, you know this guy was expecting an attaboy, right? I didn't lose anything that you gave me. But that's not the response that he got. Verse 26, the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and you gather and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. I would have at least gotten a little bit of interest out of it. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. Now, we can look at that story and we can read the whole thing in its entirety and we go, what a doofus, right? What a, what a bonehead move. He goes and buries it. But you know what? I would suggest that probably most of us this morning would be tempted to do the very same thing. You know why? It wasn't his money. It wasn't his money. And he's thinking, man, my master just gave me a million dollars. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to take a chance of messing this up. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bury it because nobody will find it. I can't lose it. And when he comes back, I've got it all. It's a beautiful plan. Except it wasn't. He thought that he was going to get kudos and it didn't work out too good for him because not only did he not keep anything, everything that he had was taken away from him and given to the one who had 10. Now, let's look at these in context one more time real quickly. So the first two, the one who got five and the one who got two, it wasn't their money either, was it? Now, you just think about that for a second. It's not theirs. Somebody hands you, your boss hands you $5 million and gives you no instruction whatsoever, just says, here it is. You going to take a chance with that? Probably most of you are saying, no way. No way. But these first two, they took a CEO mindset because a CEO asked this question. What does he ask? How can I what? Make it better. So they looked at what their master gave them and they thought, how can I make it better? How do I take this five? How do I take this two and make it better? And so they went out and they risked what the master gave them so that they could grow 
the master's wealth so that they could give back to the master's estate. They took a risk because they saw it as an opportunity. But the third guy, the guy that only got one, he took a shareholder approach. He paused, he considered his situation, and he asked himself what every shareholder asks, and what does every shareholder think? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And you know what the answer was for him? Nothing. There's nothing in it for me. And since there's no value in it for me, since there's no benefit in it for me, why would I bother to take a risk on anything if there's nothing in it for who? For me. Why would I take a chance if there's nothing in it for me? And so you know what he did? He didn't take a chance. He did not take a risk because he wasn't thinking how could he benefit his master he was only thinking, what's in it for me? And I'm not, I am not going to risk my welfare. I am not going to risk my position. I am not going to risk what I have and who I am when I don't even know what he wants. So I'm just going to go bury the thing. And when he gets back, I'll give it all back. It's a great plan, except that's not how God wants us to live. Let's be honest, attempting to step into those risky areas of life and in church, it's scary, and it is scary, folks. I mean, make no doubt about it. It's scary, but it's also an opportunity to deepen your awareness of and your dependence on God. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to know more of who God is? Don't we want to be able to depend on him more? Isn't that what we want? I mean, John the Baptist, you remember when he said, he pointed to Jesus and he looked at his disciples and he said, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. Decrease. More of him, less of me. And so when we step into those risky areas of our faith, when we step into those risky areas of our church, what it really is is an opportunity to deepen our awareness of God and our dependence on him. And that is a beautiful thing, church. It's a beautiful thing. See, in God's economy, the way he sets things up, when we play it safe, you know what happens? We tend to lose. You realize that? God has set it up so that when we, when we try to play it safe, we tend to lose. But when we put ourselves out there on the line for him, when we take a risk for him, when we try to represent him in a place that we're not sure about so that we can be a picture of who he is, when we see that risk not as risk but as opportunity, God has a way of showing up and making himself known in ways that we would have never believed. And he says this, he says, rather than losing, we'll actually find something far more valuable. Matthew 16, 25, this will be on the screen for you. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
You want to take a risk? You don't want to take a risk? You want to live safe? You want to take no chances? Well, if that's what your your goal is, Jesus said if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. See, Jesus tells us something that seems some completely wrong. How in the world can it be that if I try to save my life, I lose it, and if I lose my life for Jesus' sake, I find it? Nothing about that makes sense. But that's the way God designed the world. It's upside down and outside in or inside out from the way that the world sees it. That's kingdom living, not world living, and that's a CEO faith instead of a shareholder because we have to understand that we've got to see how can we make it better. So church, I'm just, I'm just encouraging you this morning, go ahead and see risk for what it really is. It's a what? It's an opportunity to show God. It's an opportunity to see God. It's an opportunity for God to show up. The risk for God is an opportunity that we are missing far too many times. Church, this morning I'm challenging all of us to be a constant evaluator of opportunities. Don't just walk by something. Don't just wait till somebody else does something about it. Don't just wait and think that somebody else will do it. If it's an opportunity for us, God is saying, jump in. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll show up and meet you in ways you would have never imagined because it's not a risk when it's about God. It's an opportunity. We have to see risk as opportunities to be more like Jesus to lead like Jesus, to show more of who Jesus is in our homes, in our churches, in our families, and in the world. It'll be risky. Absolutely, it'll be risky. It'll be hard work. But it will be worth it. Francis Chan, and I'll close with this, and I'll ask the worship team to come back to the platform. Francis Chan said this. Our greatest fear should not be of succeeding or failure, but it's succeeding at things that don't matter. See, we see too much risk as a chance to fail rather than a chance to succeed. And Francis Chan says that shouldn't be our concern. Our concern should be succeeding at things that don't matter. Church, I'm going to ask you this morning to act on an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to act on an opportunity that maybe you've been walking past for weeks, months, maybe even years because you've been afraid. You've been afraid that you weren't ready. You've been afraid that you weren't qualified. You've been afraid that somebody else would say something about it. And instead, God is just saying, don't worry about it. Just dive in. Just dive in. Take a risk because it's an opportunity. God is calling on us this morning as a church to think, how can I make it better? How can I make my church better? How can I make my family better? How can I make my faith better? And stop thinking what's in it for me, but how can I bless somebody? 
by taking a risk for the cause of Christ. Some of you might be here this morning and you haven't even jumped in yet. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses what? His own soul. Listen, you can succeed at everything. You can succeed and, and, ex, and, and uh, excel at whatever you put your hand to and have, have the greatest am- amount of wealth that the world has ever seen, but it won't matter at all, at all, if you miss Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and you need to take that first step of faith that says, I'm going to take the risk of committing my life to Jesus. I don't even know what all that means yet, but I know that I need Jesus because what I'm doing isn't the answer. And for those of you who are church members or regulars, Christ followers, would you step out this morning and say, Lord, I'm willing to take a risk? It'll feel like a risk just stepping out in the aisle and walking up here. Do you know that? It'll feel like a risk. Well, because what if somebody sees me? What if somebody thinks that I'm, I'm really messed up because I went forward during a, uh, an in- invitation? Who cares? Right? Who cares? Because this is between you and God. So church, would you stand? Father, as we entrust this message to you this morning and all of this worship that has been a part of our gathering this morning, Lord, would you help every person here this morning to have courage, God, courage to act on what they've heard. Whether it's somebody needs to say yes to Jesus for the first time or whether it's somebody that says, I need to step out and take a risk for the cause of Christ. God, whatever it is, Lord. Help us to do what needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open as the worship team sings. Take a risk this morning, church. Take a risk.
What are you scared of this morning, church? What are you afraid of? Don't let that conquer you this morning. Go ahead. Take that step. Get it right with Jesus right here, right now. Father, we give you thanks and praise this morning for who you are, for how you never give up on us, for how you walk with us in all things, in all ways, in all places. God, may every decision that's been made today publicly at this altar or Lord, even privately in the seats where everyone's at. Lord, may it be lived out as we walk outside of this building today. God, help us to look for opportunities this week as we go forward to show who you are and what you're about. God, take away all the fears that keep us from stepping out into the unknown. And Lord, help us to meet you and know you in a brand new way this week. Now to close the message and the service this morning. I just share with you, as the Apostle Paul said, to him who is able to do all and above more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church both both now and forever. Have a great week. God bless you. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Let's go give God the glory. Amen.